Hello everyone, this is London, the Multimedia Director for the UMass Lowell Connector. Thank you so much for tuning in to the full interview with the Graduate Employee Organization members. If you'd like to support The Connector and enjoy this kind of content from us, go follow us on our social media. You can find The Connector on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on at UMLConnector. For the written version of the story and a video with the GEO members, head to UMLConnector.com. Again, for the written version of the story and a video with the GEO members, head to UMLConnector.com. Without further ado, enjoy the interview you guys had that meeting you had what one so we basically bargained once a month for many months many many months yeah Yeah. since may basically up until november and we kept meeting back and forth with the university trying to reach a better deal for our contracts as graduate students Mm -hmm. and yeah this went on back and forth and we finally got it on november 11th maybe sometime around that. yeah a little like after our last talk mm-hmm. to you I yeah think. that's right because we had some rallies we had another rally we really got people excited for this thing we spoke to the media the you guys the little son we went on radio and i think all these kind of media pushes really had a huge effect on the administration and the school recognizing like what grad students are going through so is there like a change in their tone I think there in was. In that final bargaining session, there was. Yeah. We, it was noticed. It was the sense of urgency to actually bring our bargaining to a conclusion was palpable. I think. Yeah. And that last session. So I definitely think that the media, you guys, like, put the word out there and kind of showed them that people cared about this stuff. We had petitions going. We got signatures going, and more and more people were kind of aware. Aware. Yeah. Undergrads became more aware. Faculty came yeah. to our side. So, yeah, it had a really strong effect. Mm-hmm. And did they concede to any of the things we talked about, or a little bit, or? Yeah, they... so, yeah some things they did. Um, so, first and foremost, we ended up with um, coverage in dental insurance. So 40% coverage. Yeah, it's huge. We've never had that before. A lot of other workers on campus don't have that yet. But uh, we work in a union coalition. So it's like our union and other unions meet together. And hopefully we can lift each other up. And one win for one union is a win for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, dental insurance is huge. I'm, ha- I'm having three root canals done so uh Sorry. i've been waiting a long time for this i've had three root canals so yeah it's, I understand. Yeah. it's really rough yeah. um, and expensive too without insurance it's like four thousand dollars in this country and yeah it's just money out of your pocket that you know doesn't exist if you're a grad student making the kind of money we Weird. make yeah um, so yeah i think that was a monumental moment um not just the amount that we ended up with because we were sort of anticipating the university would actually offer a lower percentage because they had initially put on the table like 20 or 25 percent and we were worried that they wouldn't even increase that at all um but we were more concerned about just getting our foot in the door period because we had no health um no dental or visual vision insurance period offered by the university in terms of um, covering part of that premium so obviously the university offers all students the option of having a dental package or um, you can, I think there's vision care, maybe through, I, I'm not sure. There's I like, don't think there is. There's you no get, vision, yeah. 
Yeah. I think you get like one exam every two years or something, but yeah. you don't, nothing else. You can't get you any can't lenses or anything. Lenses, yeah. So we were really concerned about just having that within our contract, like in, in making sure that that was in there. And so they did um, budge and went higher than their initial offer of, I think it was 20, 25%. Yeah, so now so we're at 40%. We're 40%. So like the goal is obviously in the next bargaining session when we come back uh, over a year from now that we can increase that even more. Just And it, it, interestingly enough, um, after the fact, the uptake of the services were much higher than the university thought it was going to be. So we had students signing up almost immediately when yeah. they offered that, and they were surprised. And then we're like, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't just talking for ourselves here. We we were hearing from various students that they needed this coverage badly, and not just you know a basic dental cleaning and X-ray type of dental insurance, but like root canals and um, other like major issues that needed to be remedied. So that was one of the big wins. Yeah. Um, so vision coverage, we're still we're still working on, but um, I think dental was more of a concern amongst our members. Like they had, we'd done a lot of surveying and getting feedback that like the priority was dental care. And another win we had was retroactive pay, which is to say we should have had a contract at the start of this academic year, mm -hmm. but since we had been bargaining for so long, it had taken months and months. It was almost the end of the semester, mm -hmm. and we were like, let's make sure we're paid for this time that we keep coming back here, keep bargaining with you, mm -hmm. and you've not moved on anything. Mm -hmm. And they did give up, give in on that. Yeah, so. so we were paid right before the end of the, the, um, the semester, like right at the end of December of last year um, for everything that we, um, for the 7% raise that would have been instituted had we closed earlier. Um, and then do you want to talk a little bit about the raises now hereafter? Sure, I, I, want, I want to let you... No, no, that's like that's was my follow-up anyway, so okay. yeah. So, wait, hold on really quick, though. They gave you a 7%. Actually, you go on. I think that'll clarify that for me. Yeah, so they basically gave us a 7% increase for the first year. First academic year, so last semester and this semester. Okay. Yeah. And then for next year, we have... Uh, we have three tiers as graduate students. You come in, you start at tier one, you get your master's degree, you go to tier two, you def, uh, present your PhD, you go to tier three. We made it so that those first tier people, which are get paid the least amount, mm -hmm. and they're usually people who are coming from afar, you know, immigrants who come from other countries, people who are just finding their way in this new city, mm -hmm. they're the ones who struggle the most. We tried to push that one up the highest. So they got a nine and a half percent raise. Then the next year got six percent. Then the next year got five percent. So yeah. we really want to make sure those lowest paid people were most vulnerable. Who were most vulnerable were paid the most, mm -hmm. or, or I'm sorry, not paid the most net wise, but received the largest increase, yes. percentage increase. So um, yeah, so for this academic year again, last semester and this semester, it was a seven. The university had already, and we had sort of tentatively agreed that that 7% was what we agreed upon, even though we continued bargaining at that time. So like that wasn't even in discussion. It was like the next year. So next academic year is what we were really trying to push, you know, the university on. That was really, I think, why we didn't move too much. Um, yeah. But again, the goal was to really help level one students because our mindset, our mentality is that not only international students that are coming in, but other even domestic students, like it's a hard transition your first year as a doctoral student and the most vulnerable in pretty much every way you can think, and yet you're paid the least. 
just because you're not as qualified, just because you don't have as much experience, et cetera. And it's like, we really tried to close the gap more on that. Yeah, 57% of our students are international. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you come here from a country where the dollar goes further and all of a sudden, you know, you're asked to kind of make up for these charges up front, getting a place to live, figuring out transportation, getting food in the first months, that's a huge step for somebody, even somebody just cr crossing the straight state to live somewhere new. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so is, with the current agreement, is there anything that's hindering your ability to help others or like to get your more of your demands, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so basically where do we go from here? What do we yeah. still have to ask? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now we're not at what's called a living wage. So mm -hmm. places like MIT do studies about, you know, how much a single person mm -hmm. living bare bones would need to live in a specific city. Uh, and then the government also does their own studies. And we use these as like the very minimum amount of what's a livable wage. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't make that currently. Uh, across all levels, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Across yeah. all levels. Still, yeah. still, even yeah. with this seven percent raise this year, and with the the um, nine and a half ish percent, five percent, and four percent increase for the following academic year, we still don't meet it. So where we're at is essentially what, a, a compromise, exactly what bargaining would ex you'd expect. Um, you you give some and and uh, hopefully you receive some, and we felt that where we were was good considering I mean considering raises percentage wise it sounds even more amazing than it is but again because we're working with such small numbers you know anywhere else in the school a seven percent raise would be unheard of you know because it, it's yeah. the magnitude is you know worth a lot more but um, when you think about it like seven percent plus nine percent nine and a half percent that's sixteen and a half percent raise over two years for one tier which is which is great but it's not where we want to be yeah yeah and yeah, so just to put things into kind of perspective, UMass Lowell wants to be an R1 institution, which means that you know they've gone on record now. They actually, I saw a publication saying that they want to be an R1 school, yeah. which means this group of schools which get the highest amount of research funding, they put in the most amount of work, and they get the highest quality of faculty and students. Mm -hmm. They want to be in those ranks, but we're still paid, you know, less than most uh, state schools in our area. You know, yeah. and R1 institutions. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they have to treat the workers like R1 schools treat their workers if they want that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this is something that they might say in response to what we've been talking about. They say, you get a tuition waiver. So you get your tuition waived, which is a $15,000 value. Mm -hmm. This is what you're getting, and you should be very grateful for this. And that is true, that's a huge value. But that's not money in our pockets. It, they might as well say you are getting a million dollar value. It's just as adults living, you know, in our 20s, 30s, the money is not in our pockets. So how much we can spend on rent and food, uh, it doesn't mean anything to us. Mm -hmm. you know? that, yeah. Uh, I want to ask a question for clarification. Um, so we previously had a discussion with a professor who like he has a lab with grad students mm -hmm. and stuff and he talked about how professors are the ones that distribute the money or something like that right he was saying that um 
something about how they can pull from other funding resources. Yeah, they have a supplemental contract. From the grant. Yeah. Yeah. So There's something else, the, but it doesn't apply to TAs. Yes, so um, I'm assuming what this professor is referring to is departments typically have more flexibility in the research realm, period. So if you are an RA, you're being funded by our research funds, right? Whereas TAs are being funded through, typically the department has like a pool of money that they have set aside where they have only a certain amount of students that can be delegated to those roles and there's a cap, right? So they'll say, we'll have this many students oh, teaming. wait, hold on. Um, it stopped recording. It's okay. My bad. Uh, okay, we're going. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, um, so they have a certain amount of students that they can um, delegate to TAing for a semester for different professors, and that's paid strictly through those TA funds. Whereas RA funds, I, from my understanding, are partially funded by the department. Like there's a pool that they can pull from, mm -hmm. but most of that money is coming directly from principal investigators' grants. Mm -hmm. So certain principal investigators or professors, they're, they're both the same thing here um, because they take on both of those roles, um, have a lot of flexibility in terms of the number of students they could potentially fund be, depending on the magnitude of that grant or the amount of that grant. So if they have millions of dollars, like they could fund in theory, many, many students under one PI. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously departments vary in terms of not only the number of faculty they have, but the amount of money that each faculty member is pulling in. And that's where we see a lot of disparities across UMass Lowell, whether we're talking social sciences, the hard sciences, um, even within the hard sciences, there's a lot of variation in what funding each department has and mm -hmm. principal investigators have. Um, and so, uh, Unfortunately, the university, um, so we are paid for nine months of our time through these TA or RA contracts, and those are kept. So like those are the levels we're referring to. You can make level one, level two, or level three. And um, so no matter what grant the PI is pulling money from, that's, that's the amount you're paid for those nine months. Additionally, if you're a domestic student, you can be paid up to four additional hours um, at an hourly wage on top of that contract. And that could be for grading responsibilities, tutoring responsibilities, and other research-related responsibilities. If you're a, an international student, you can be paid up to two hours. So they're capped at 20 hours, so 18 hours for their traditional contract, and then two additional hours for research, for teaching-related responsibilities, et cetera. Um, so at most, you can earn between 20 to 22 hours through the university. Um, and where that can vary is now a little bit, this is outside of the realm of GEO because we don't have, we um, focus on just the yearly uh, academic year contracts. Mm -hmm. During the summertime, you can also earn uh, a wage. And, and there's no limit on that There's wage. no limit technically. So, so yeah, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. So what a lot of departments have basically been doing is, okay, they give their students what is this uh, wage that we agree upon during the nine months, and if you're a big hotshot department like engineering or physics mm -hmm. or something, you bump up that pay in the summertime. So you say, okay, we'll take care of you in the summertime where we can give you a lot of money, and then you guys have to be on this you know, university stipend for the rest of the time. So it's this feast and famine type system that we've been trying to fight. Um, and again, it's not fair because some departments have a lot of money. If, yes. if you have a hotshot researcher that comes in with a million dollars, like she said, 
you know, obviously he can treat there's his students well, but that's not equity. That means that somebody there's an advantage. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Yeah, there's an advantage. That's what I yeah. said. Exactly. Somebody who just wants to study global studies maybe won't be paid as well as somebody who's no engineering for no other reason than you know their PI you know happens to be a hotshot or you know that's more well funded or whatever. Right. Right. So there's just a lot of room for. Uh, inequity, which is like a huge concern for us, which is why our argument has always stood and will always stand that we can focus on the nine month contract. And if everybody is paid properly, regardless of the level, regardless of the department, then there's absolutely uh, no room for these inequities to exist. Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, of course, summer opportunities can still be in existence. Like if you want to work out something with your advisor or your, your PI. Um, to do additional work in the summer, of course you should be paid for that, but like that shouldn't be what we rely on, which is unfortunately what a lot of students have to do. So they'll either get jobs outside of the university that they hoped will pay them a ton in the summer, or they'll agree with their PI in, at UMass Lowell that I need to be making a ton of money in the summer to compensate for the pennies I'm making over the school year. And if you budget well, that's great. If you have a PI that's willing to pay you that, that's great. Um, or in a department where you, there is a lot of funding to go around, great. Um, but that's not the case for everyone. And that's like not, <laughs> we're not okay with that because that obviously just exacerbates existing inequities too, right? So um, really, we're really, really focused on this nine month contract. Um, and, and you'll hear a lot of professors, a lot of PIs say, but we have summer funding. And that's always the excuse, right? It's always like, well, they get paid enough in the summer anyway. It's like, not everybody does. And why should you be making half of your salary in three months? A third of your salary in three months? Something is wrong with the system if that's how we're, <laughs> how we're operating, right? And that's why they call it the feast and famine here because you are, you're, you're pinching pennies for nine months and then you have all of this money in the summer, right? Obviously, if you budget, hopefully, you know, things will, you know, even themselves out. But again, that's operating under the assumption that you're even getting a ton of summer funding. Most PIs that I've heard of continue paying their students, their doctoral students, researchers, pretty much at the same rate throughout the summer. So it's not even an increase. It's still great that you're able to get paid in the summer, but it's like the same consistent rate throughout. So it's not even making up for the terrible pay. <laughs> So imagine you're making about $17,000, take whatever percentage it is for three months, like that's not, that's still not getting us even to a livable wage if you extrapolate those numbers. So, yeah. yeah. And one last thing before I let you maybe ask something next. Uh, so one of the reasons I wanted to mention that 57% uh, of our students are international is that they legally cannot work outside of the university. So a lot of older folks may have this perception of, oh, this can be a part-time thing for you guys. Do this and then you know, work on the side, you'll get through school. It's okay to not make a lot of money. For most of our students, that's not actually legally Feasible. possible. Yeah, yeah. so they, there's not, you know, some of us will get other part-time jobs and work outside of the university to supplement that income throughout the year, but that's a luxury only domestic students have. Um, yeah, and it seems, I mean, you said the system, and it seems like this is a system that's not just here, it's... 
Oh yeah. It's everywhere. Yes. Yes. We're very fortunate to have a union at this university. Actually, it's not the overwhelming case for graduate schools to, for them to have unions, and a lot of times the schools can do whatever they want with a little recourse. But yet, that is the system. That's especially in state schools is the case where they we don't have deep pockets. Um, and state schools, what they do is they'll start to run university like a business. They'll you know they'll have investment. They'll have uh, certain like bank accounts that they want to keep, you know, well established and not spending money on things like workers and things, make sure the tuition from undergrads comes in and comes in the most. That's like, that's like what they fight for the most is undergrad tuition, which is great. Um, but just sometimes workers get left behind in that. In the big business model. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I, I think, this, yeah, this issue is well beyond UMass Lowell. I mean, I will say comparatively, we've done a lot of research on where we stand with even other R2 institutions, which is where we currently stand, and we're still like worse off than most. So like looking at numbers and insurance and all the other benefits that doctoral students or graduate students typically um, acquire when they enroll in a program, like we are, we are worse off. But looking at this from like a global perspective or even like a domestic perspective, like this is an issue that all doctoral students are facing, sadly. And just to zoom out a little bit, so this is a public school, right? Only 20% of the funding for the school comes from the state. So 80% of it comes from, you know, a more capitalistic system, which kind of- Privatized. Yeah, it's privatized. It it almost doesn't make sense because you think public school, oh, this is such a great system, it's funded by the state. It's not going to be this weird kind of fight for money, but you know it's inevitably become that. And you think, okay, that's just where we are now, so let's fight with it. But it got to this point. You know, UMass Lowell expanded and they buy buildings and they expand across Lowell, and they get to this point where the state will only provide them this much money, and now they have to, you know, fight for every penny everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems a little odd because they're in like an image. I mean, we we talked about an image mm-hmm. change at Lowell. Like U, UML is trying to perspective and like image. I think is branding well. is super important. Yeah, the branding and um, it just seems odd that they would put up such a fight if they. It just seems like they could attract more graduate students if they, you know, paid more than the the average. Yeah, institution. Yeah, that's what the baseline is. Like, you know, people be like, "Oh, what do they want? Do they want better amenities? Better this?" Across the board, everyone's just like, "Just pay us us better better first. That's yeah, all we need first and foremost. Don't give us, you know, uh, what's it called? Like solar powered umbrellas. Like, when we came back this academic year, that's like one of the first things we noticed. They're like, okay, so we can can allocate money to fund like these cool umbrellas and we can't even pay and the colorful our graduate and, yeah. workers like yeah. properly or like even just of course any institution not even just an academic institution wants like wants to develop a good reputation and like that could mean different things for different people and like attracting people to your institution could mean like making things look nice making buildings look like sure. having state-of-the-art things right like these are things that people want but at what point do you sacrifice like that for um for you know the workers or the people or the students that are actually going to be attending those institutions 
it's like, you know, we're like even Coburn, Coburn yeah, on South Campus, the renovations, like multi-million dollar renovations. Like, of course the building is amazing. It literally, it looks like a courthouse when you walk in. Your yeah. heels clack when it's you like walk in. It's like marble and beautiful. It's beautiful, like, <laughs> but it's like, that is not helping yeah, workers. The, the workers and like the students that are actually gonna be occupying those spaces. Like, yeah. so it's just like, it, it. I can totally tell marketing and branding is, is at the forefront of like, the agenda here at UMass Lowell, and I can I can sense that, but it's like, take care of the people that are here, and you will naturally attract others. Yeah. You know, you will, um, people will talk highly about the institution by word of mouth, et cetera, and like, unfortunately, a lot of people leave here with, with you know, sometimes a bad, bad taste in their mouth because they just got through. Like, they that was their goal, just to get through. It wasn't like, anything else but that, you know, to get by and to get through. And and I know for me personally, I talked about this in the last interview, like I have nothing but great things to say about my advisors, the people I work with, my colleagues, and like I will forever talk highly about them, but that doesn't mean I would say the same about the institution. Yeah. And that's like not what you want. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what you want when people leave, so. Yeah. That's what I hear from most people, like yeah. undergrads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like our same. profs, we like our teachers, or like we like who we work with, our advisor, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's like, but... The institution itself. Yeah, and like that's the culture that you sh we should be thriving, or like we should, or, I'm sorry, we should be striving toward, right? Like the culture is important, and we have a lot of work to do. And I, I had a question, actually, because you guys were talking about how the fellow members of the union feel, right? Mm -hmm. So with the new announcements of the plans that every that the administration has for the school, has there been, I guess, a reawakening of the same, you know, fire that you guys had when you did the protest last semester? I think the goal really was to reach an agreement with the university, and I think, you know, we could sense our members like wanting us to, to come to that point. Like people were like, how much longer is this gonna go? Yeah. So like, since we reached that agreement, there's been less of a um, need for like, you know, a protest at this time, because like, that's really what we are working for. I mean, and I think we talking about like future next steps, which I think is like a natural segue anyway, um, we wanna continue to build membership engagement um, you know, that exists outside of bargaining. Like, that, yeah. that's not just solely um, central to bargaining. And like, unfor unfortunately, because of the way the system is, that's what people are most passionate about. And like, that's what people come out for. Like, we're being paid poorly, so of course we're gonna come and represent our fellow students. But now that that's behind us and we're not gonna be in bargaining for over a year at this point, I think, the fervor maybe dies a little bit, like it ebbs and it flows. Yeah, you want. graduate students are very tired a lot of the time. <laughs> from, yeah. you know, being a TA or an RA, you know, tutoring and teaching students, doing your classes, figuring out what research to do, yeah. doing that research, it commuting, you know, everything else. It, they're so tired. To get the support for the bargaining that we've done and the protests we've done, it's all been around them being like, we need more money. We just need more money. Right. Uh, so yeah, right now they we can't. They don't have any focus on the mall that's being built, 
or these other things. And that's kind of what we do as a union. We look out for these things and we kind of let them know and we try to fight for you know what's right. But you're definitely right. The fervor kind of has died down because everyone's just trying their best, especially after COVID with all the Zoom and being yeah. so isolated and far away. Oh yeah, it's understandable. It's difficult. Yeah. 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 yeah, we've basically just been trying to build a community with our- Yeah, like working on really, yeah, fleshing that out because like it's, Okay, I in my in my program we talk a lot about like trauma bonding. Like we're all in this together. Like everybody's like dealing with so much that like you all unite when things are like either you know you're suffering or you're really tired or um, in our case you're not being paid enough. It's like easy to get behind the same front, right? Like there's like a reason to be fighting for something. Um, but I think uh, you know people then because of the turnover like people are here for three years up to five to six whatever it's hard to um keep like a core unit and like that's like a culture and like a climate we're trying to build um so that it's not like okay we're bargaining now like everybody like fire up like some people don't even know what that means what that is because they're new and they haven't been like educated or they're not involved in like late like the labor movement or yeah, things like, like that what even is a union right like, what even is it? yeah international students will be like will i get in trouble will i get sent home if because i go legally you can't legally yeah, because, you can. because of how stigmatized it is in other countries yeah. too like the it's yeah. very very different like your their conception of what a union does and stands for so like those for those reasons like we we're just trying to work behind the scenes now to really engage people, to educate, especially the new students coming in, to we're now doing um, uh, monthly breakfasts and monthly lunches where we're just having people come in and like giving opportunity for um, grad students to get to know each other outside of their departments, which we don't get many opportunities for that. We pretty much stay in our little circles and that's that. Yeah, so we really need to kind of come together because yeah. it's so isolating. Yes. And if you don't know what it what a union is, if you don't know you have rights, a lot of people will put their head down, especially international students who you know are scared and just want to do the right thing, put their head down for five years and get out of here. Yeah. Whatever their PI does to them, you know, whatever happens, Fresh they might not even know that they can go through a grievance process, that they can like, you know, affect change, not just for themselves, but for their fellow peers that might be going through the same thing. Yeah, for thing. the people that will come in the future. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So if we do this kind of community building, which you know might be as silly as making memes and having social media pages yeah. or yeah. having get-togethers, free lunches, free whatever. Coffee, but, yeah. Yeah, but the more of this outreach and community building we do, I, you know, it permeates out. People will know more about it. Yeah. We have a union. There's something that can be done about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's our focus now. That's, like, what that's really doing. what we're trying because, yeah. um, like I said, like uh, there's just not like a natural reason for people to come together when there's off time like this you know unless like you were saying that there's um you know there's something the university's doing that everybody thinks is just wrong or disagrees with um so we're just we're trying to build those connections now and just educate people like it's you know if you for people that have never even been to like a public institution or a, you know been part of a workforce where there is a union there it's almost like a like a theoretical concept to some people like they haven't experienced it or like Razvan said even knew that a union existed that yeah. could help right like graduate like some people seriously had zero idea that there was a graduate union and so like that's where our work comes in we need to do better and make sure everybody knows that we exist and 
that we're here to help and file grievances where they're necessary. And like this goes beyond just fair pay. It goes beyond, you know, uh, in health insurance. It's like about work environment too. Like if something is, is awry, like we need to hear about it. Um, and whether that means we file a grievance on their behalf or we just go straight to the administration and notify them that something is going on, like that's, we're here for that. And, and that includes like sexual harassment, harassment in the workplace, retaliation, all of those things, like we wanna hear about it. And I think that will naturally come with like building more of a community and like that culture, as opposed to like the culture of fear that often exists. Like I'm not gonna come forward because I don't wanna ruin my reputation. I don't want to, um, you know, potentially not have letters of recommendation down the road because I've sullied my relationship with my PI or my department, et cetera. And like, we want to make sure people feel comfortable coming forward and like, um, and also another thing is like, we as the union can hear about these things and we don't, we're not obligated to like file a grievance. If you want to come forward and just tell us these things, that's fine too. I think people are worried that by telling us that they have to take action and that that is not the case. Like we would encourage them to, right? For their sake and for people who come after. But we don't, we don't take action without their permission. And like, I think that's another reason that people don't commit sometimes to coming forward. Um, they don't know where to go. And then once, even if they do, it's like, what would happen to me, my name, my reputation? And so there's a lot of, unfortunately, um, layers to the process. Yeah, I would say as, my final takeaways from this for for the people is just like you go to unions wherever you are you know just go towards unions uh, mm -hmm. fight for unions participate in unions make unions yeah that's that's the biggest thing you know the grad students thing is cool it's cool to get the word out there but i feel like across the country unions are becoming like more important and people are have a better opinion of them more and more. It's like the Kellogg stuff. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen that. Yep. So yeah, I I, I want every every worker to be unionized in this country. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for our interview with the members from the graduate employee organization. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. If you enjoyed this interview and you also enjoyed the content that the connector puts out. Please make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on at UML Connector. If you want to read the written version of this story and see a video with the graduate employee organization members, make sure to head to umlconnector.com. And with that, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye.